This is the Evangelical Church of Bermuda's weekly sermon podcast. Thank you for joining us. Here is this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him. And he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day that you've given us, that we can come together to worship you. Lord, um, I thank you for the freedom that we have to do so without persecution. I pray for all those throughout the world who today they are facing persecution for gathering in your name. Lord, I pray for those who can't be with us this day, who who are sick, who are not well. Lord, I pray that you will meet them in their need, and may they, may they know that you are near. Lord, I thank you for the reading of your word, and I pray that you'll be with Pastor Paul as he brings us your message. May we be uh, receptive to it. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Josh. All right, let's, uh, let's get started uh, in Matthew's gospel. Again, we're in chapter 12. We left off last week with Jesus not bending to the Pharisees' extra-biblical Sabbath regulations. And in opposition to this, he heals a man on the Sabbath. And this results in the Pharisees plotting to destroy him. This is Jesus' response in verse 15. Jesus aware of this, withdrew from there. Now, you might not think this, that this is, well, you might think this is a normal response, actually. If someone's trying to destroy you, it's probably best to leave. But we need to remember a few things first before we jump to that conclusion. First, Jesus has just shown his superiority in standing up to the Pharisees, right? They seem quite unable to tangle with him, at least verbally. Second, Jesus has the popularity right now. He has the support of the crowds. He could easily incite them to rise up against these religious leaders that oppose him. And third... Jesus has the power that was just demonstrated last, in our last passage. The, his power to heal and to overcome evil spirits has, has been very evident so far in his ministry. This makes him both popular and intimidating to opposition. So in light of all of that, Jesus could have easily risen up against this opposition destroying them and becoming the leader. 
So why does Jesus withdraw? Let's read the rest of verse 15 and include verse 16. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him. And he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. So despite his withdrawal, many people successfully followed Jesus. And when Jesus saw their need, he healed them, as he normally does. And then strongly ordered them not to spread the word of this. He didn't want to be made known. He didn't want his popularity to continue to increase. Like the false messiahs that have come and gone during this time period, Jesus does not promote and advance himself because he's the true messiah who is on a very different mission. And this is what our passage outlines for us. Verse 12, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. So the withdrawing, right, this, this, this was to fulfill, this withdrawing, this compassion and healing, the strong warning not to tell others in order not to raise his profile too high, all this was to fulfill what Jesus Messiah came to accomplish. And we learn this from the prophet Isaiah, quoted by Matthew. This is the longest quote of an Old Testament passage in the Gospel of Matthew. It's the beginning of the prophecies found in Isaiah, referred to as the suffering servant. This prophecy shows us why Jesus acts like he does here in this passage. In a strange way for a person with such power and influence. This unexpected response will show us the Savior that we would unlikely conjure up in our own minds. This prophecy begins to reveal him, so it will be our focus today. And here's my extended outline. First, there's only two points, but there's many subpoints. The expected prophecies God pleasing, spirit filled, justice proclaiming. And then the unexpected prophecies quiet and humble, gentle, the hope of all. Okay, so again, these are the things we'd expect to see from a Messiah and, and the people in that time period and probably today as well. And then the unexpected things that we would sort of wouldn't put on a Messiah conjured in our own mind. So let's, let's get started the, with the unexpected prophecies and the first one, God pleasing. We won't spend a lot of time on point one, right, and those three subpoints, because those things are expected. So they're not surprising to us. So even if you didn't know a lot about the Messiah, you wouldn't be surprised by these things. I've broken up verse 18 into four sections. They may be quite obvious depending on your Bible's formatting. 
here are the first two sections of verse 18 that I referred to as A and B. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. So again, this, this is not surprising. If God said a deliverer or rescuer, rescuer was coming, this, we, would, we would assume these things about him. That he's God's servant. That, that word servant can also be translated child or son. He's God's chosen. God has planned who this rescuer would be. He's from the line of Abraham and then from the line of David. And he's God's beloved. He is well-pleasing to God. God takes great delight in this chosen servant who would rescue God's people. All pretty obvious. Let's move to the next subpoint of the expected prophecies. Spirit filled. Here's the third line of verse 18. I will put my spirit upon him. Again, this this is no surprise. Time and time again in the Old Testament, God would put his spirit, the Holy Spirit, upon those he had chosen to deliver his people. For me, the dominant examples in the Old Testament are the Judges in the book of Judges, one of my favorite Old Testament books. God's people would get oppressed by one of the surrounding nations and fall into some sort of bondage to them. Then God would raise up a judge to deliver them. These chosen deliverers of God were very different from one another, but one commonality was that the Spirit of the Lord came upon each one of them. That's how they were able to do their saving work for God's people. So the fact that the Spirit of God is on the Messiah, the ultimate deliverer, is just par for the course, right? So let's go to the next subpoint of our unexpected prophecies. Justice proclaiming. Here is the last of the of these prophecies found in or the expected prophecies found in the fourth line of this verse, verse 18. And he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. So the Jewish people expected a deliverance from Roman rule by their Messiah. That's the Messiah they have in their mind. In comparing this part of the verse with the original prophecy in Isaiah, it would generally be interpreted like this. He will proclaim justice to the nations. The word Gentiles can just as easily be translated nations. It's the word ethnos. In the Jewish thinking of the Messiah, it will be thought of as, this would sort of be thought of as, he won't be afraid to stand up to Rome for their unjust rule over us. That's how that first century Jewish mind would have looked at that that last part of verse 18 like. Again, 
nothing surprising here. The Messiah is going to right all wrongs for his people. So let's move on to the unexpected prophecies. These will take a little longer. The first subpoint: quiet and humble. Verse 19. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. This is why Jesus left the scene, right, back, back in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He was not there to self-promote. He did not come to receive his rightful crown. His mission would require him to defer his crown to a later time. Because as Matthew 20, 28 says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In fact, the most quiet he got when, was when he was being questioned before the religious leaders and the Roman government as he would soon give his life as that ransom. Further, this is what he expects of his followers. They are not to self-promote. They are not to climb try to climb on top of one another, they are to serve one another. If Jesus had a leadership seminar, it would look very strange, both then and now. He leads by serving. He leads by sacrificing. He leads not by promoting himself. He leads with a quiet strength. It is because he doesn't quarrel or cry out that it leads him the cross. The cross is the climax of this way because it was the only way that our salvation could be possible. No wonder Jesus remained silent and did not utter a defense. Can I inform you or remind you that he's not, he's not silent any longer? He's seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Because he went to the cross and because you have put your trust and hope in him, he continually mediates on your behalf. As you continue the Christian life, you will sin. Often in seemingly small ways, but sometimes in more major ways in our estimation. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient to cover all of our sins, past, present, and future. He stands up for us because we have knelt down to him. He will never stop defending you before the throne of God above. Isn't it comforting when someone comes to your defense? Jesus, like a confident attorney, does that continually for those who have trusted in him. This is not the Savior we naturally think of. When we sin, we think Jesus is disappointed, disgusted, and maybe even regretful that he saved us. If you are in Christ, 
your Savior jumps to your, your defense when your sins try to accuse you. He says, Father, that sin was covered by the sacrifice of my blood. And the Father rules not guilty. There is therefore now, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not guilty. I'd love to just stop there and leave. <laughs> but let's, let's move to the next unexpected prophecy. Gentle. Verse 20. As, we, as we've already looked at, at Jesus' profession of his own heart in the last chapter, right? He says, gentle and lowly. That's my heart. Now we look at it as, as something that is not told by Jesus, but foretold before his coming. Verse 20, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. This is quite a vivid picture coloring Jesus' own profession of his gentleness. Reeds were plenteous around the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> Therefore, a, a bruised or damaged reed was really not much good for anything. It was worthless. Jesus is able to take something that is seen as worthless and in his hands, his gentle hands, make it new. Jesus' touch is so gentle that he's able to handle a fragile, bruised, read without breaking it. Many of us feel like bruised reeds, not prized or even useful, beaten up by life and hurting. If you are in Christ, you are treasured in his gentle hands. He does not scold you for being too weak or lacking self-confidence. He has compassion on you because you are united to him. What about the other image? A smoldering wick he will not quench. The world sees that wick with a tiny dot of orange at the tip as good as out. All that is needed is the exhale of a mouse and it's gone. Maybe your faith feels like it's at an all-time low. You don't even know why you're here this morning. You're about to give up on Jesus. There have been so many storms blowing in your life that you don't even understand how there can be any hint of an ember of faith left in your life. Jesus, the one who with the answer of his voice in the Garden of Gethsemane caused men who had come to arrest him to fly backwards and fall to the ground 
is the same Jesus who can blow gently enough on your dimming faith and give it new life. He doesn't toss you to the side expecting that you should have, had, you should have stronger faith by now. He has compassion on you because he knows how you feel. He knows because the distance from God that you feel, that you maybe feel right now, is the distance he actually experienced on the cross for you. How could he not feel this way toward us? He was bruised that we might be healed, not broken. He was snuffed out for us that we might be given new life. He does not pity us. He prizes us. What the world sees as broken and useless, God sees as precious and redeemable. Maybe you don't believe that. If you don't, simply go back to the cross where Jesus gave himself for you. Again, this, this is not the natural Jesus of our minds. We often picture a Jesus that, yes, saves us, but after that, you know, we better get our A game on or we're going to disappoint him and, and then he'll have to rough us up to get our attention. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I, I, Jesus does lovingly discipline his own, but it's not because we are struggling in trials or with our faith. The Bible tells us how Jesus handles his people. I love Hebrews 5.2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. You know, maybe, maybe you had parents that were easily frustrated or disappointed with you. When you struggled or failed, they scolded or frowned. That's not Jesus. Don't confuse him with the other authority figures that maybe shaped your life. Jesus will continue to gently and patiently bear with his own and all to come to him until, as the remainder of verse 20 says, he brings justice to victory. That's his second coming. And that brings us to our final unexpected prophecy. Hope of all. Until he comes, today and each day is a day of mercy and grace. Being extended to not just the people of the nation of Israel, but to you. Verse 21. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. This offer of the justice that you need 
because of your naturally condemned condition is available to all who put their hope in God's rescuer, Jesus Christ. We put our hope in many things in this world, but only Jesus, but only in Jesus will our hope bring justice to victory. Now, do you want to see something really neat? Of course you do. When we have put our hope in Jesus, the expected prophecies of Jesus are transferred to us. We become God's children, whom he has graciously chosen. We become beloved and well-pleasing to God, not because of our own ability or performance, but because we have Christ's righteousness as our own. We receive the Spirit of God in us the moment we believe. And we become proclaimers of justice as we proclaim his name over all the earth. Then, it gets, it gets even more neat. Then, as we grow in Christ, we begin to look more and more like the unexpected Jesus. Humble, gentle, and compassionate. How amazing that the Lord would send Jesus to save us, and how doubly amazing that he would, as Romans 8.29 tells us, conform us into the image of his dear son. If you are in Christ, no matter how bruised or barely flickering you are, your faith your future is secure and bright. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time that we could go through this prophecy that Matthew quotes in his gospel. And thankful, thank you for how it reveals the Jesus that we need to know. Humble, gentle, lowly, compassionate. A servant. That the king would be our servant is amazing. Father, if, if we have other concepts of the Messiah in our mind that don't line up with your word, Help us to just eject those and to replace them with truth. Father, for anyone here who has never put their hope in the Messiah, Jesus, the rescuer, the rescuer of people in their sin, I pray that they would do so. Father, may they start that journey now but by simply confessing him as Lord. May they just say in the quietness of their heart, Father, thank you for sending Jesus, this gentle and compassionate Savior. Thank you that he died on the cross for my sins and rose again in victory. Help me to trust in him. 
I want to put my faith and trust in him as my Lord, as my Savior. Father, I pray many would pray that prayer who have never, who have never expressed something like that in their life. And that they too would walk in newness of life. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, check out our website at ecb.bm. Join us again next week for our next podcast.